This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Uma Pagan Ampke Pagan. Joining me on the show today is Singaporean author Charlene Teo. She is one of the featured authors at this year's edition of the Singapore Writers Festival. She is the winner of several awards and fellowships, including the Booker Prize Foundation Fellowship and the Deborah Rogers Writers Award. Her writing has been praised by the likes of Ian McEwan. Her debut novel, Ponty, centers around the perspectives of three Singaporean women and is an exploration of female friendship through the lens of the mythical Pontiana. Okay, um, hello, my name is Charlene Chiu and I'm the author of Ponti. So Charlene, before we get into the novel, could you give me the logline? Could you tell people what Ponti is about? Sure, um, well, Ponti is um, uh, the, the name of a fictional horror trilogy um, in my novel and it's also a British military acronym for person of no tactical importance. But especially in Southeast Asia, you might recognize it as my own sort of fictionalized shorthand for Pontianak. So, you know, the, the really well-known um, creature <laughs> originating in Malay mythology, this woman that, that you know, manifests as a, a female ghost that um, attacks men. So it's, it's about a, a horror movie trilogy um, made in Singapore between the late 70s and the early 80s. The woman who plays the Pontianak character, her daughter Sue, um, narrating in the year 2003 as a 16-year-old, and finally, Sue's only friend, Cersei, who, as an adult in the year 2020, is working on a remake of the Ponty movies. The logline already got me hooked because, for one, I am a huge fan of B-horror movies. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and, of course, I am also a huge fan of Pontiana movies. So you're hitting me at every level, basically. Talk to me about the structure of the novel and why you decided to, well, first of all, tell the story from these very three distinct voices, but also setting it in such different times. Yeah, sure. Um, well, it, the, the story um, is told, as you said, in three different strands. So um, Anissa, the, the actress who plays the Pontianak, um, she, her, her strand um, begins in 1968 when she's a child growing up in basically like a, a kampong, like in a fictional village in, in Penang. And um, it, it kind of traces her evolution from, you know, a child to an actress and then a failed actress. Um, so it's got that, that basically that chronology of her career and alongside that, her, her kind of personal journey. And the second one is um, narrated by her daughter, Sue, who's, you know, very, very lonely, kind of awkward 16-year-old growing up in Singapore in an all-girls school in the, the 2000s. It's a very, very specific time frame that I, I picked on purpose because I think that that was before sort of social media and digital culture saturated right. how we behave you know, in quite the same way. So for, for someone like that, a child, a teenager really, to, to view her mother with such kind of awe and mysticism and respect and fear because the mother really belongs to um, a different kind of cultural movement. You know, the, the moment still when videotapes existed, you know, even pre-VCDs. So, like, there's that real juxtaposition, but it also speaks to a particular time in, in Singaporean contemporary consciousness. I, I think it also makes for exciting storytelling. I mean, when I look at something like Stranger Things, I, I imagine the creators of the show must have gone, yeah, let's set it in the 80s, because if everyone had cell phones, this show would be over in three episodes. <laughs> exactly. Someone would just take a picture of it or, you know, 
Exactly, the demagogue and be like, oh, wait, there it is, bad guy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, of course, there's Cersei. Cersei Cersei is quite an intriguing character. So she's, when we meet her, she she narrates as a woman in her 30s who's just undergoing a divorce. And she's very much a depiction of the sort of modern Singaporean female. You know, she's got an office job. She had a fairly privileged upbringing. And, you know, she's quite different in character to, to Sue, but... You know, she she she's forced to work on this remake of um, the, the Quanti films because they, they suddenly gain popularity, and um, she she works as a social media consultant. So she's she's tasked with, in a way, resurrecting her her feelings and her memories to do with the mother and daughter. Talk to me about finding the voices of these individual women, and I imagine that must have been something quite difficult to inhabit, especially given that you're talking about three people in three completely separate timelines from three almost different generations. What was it like finding their voices? Well, I think with the Anissa sections, I actually just wrote it all in one chronological chunk. And because it's in third person, it's a lot easier to to make that, basically, that, that, that te- technical narrative leap. Between Sue and Cersei, it's sometimes a little bit trickier. And I always compare it to getting in and out of a pool. Like, you know, when you get into a pool, you have to get used to the water and the temperature and then you have to swim around a bit <laughs> until you're, you're more comfortable with it. So I, I thought of it in terms of their emotional register and the, the amount of kind of self-awareness and honesty that comes through with the observations. So I think if you're, if you're writing from the point of view of a 16-year-old, I mean, I think Sue is very observant, but she is also a lot more sensitive and, and, and she's generally quite a lot more forgiving of the world. Right. Like, she is critical and quite snarky, but she's also, you know, she's also a little bit more vulnerable. Whereas I think the Cersei character, I, I just did an event recently here in London about Cersei and, and her, her ties to the, the Greek mythological character Cersei, who is, um, you know, like a witch, essentially, who, who turns men into pigs <laughs> on, her, on her island in exile. And um, there are quite a lot of parallels to me. I always kept that in mind, the, the, the kind of mythical, mythological link that, that both Cersei's, you know, in the Greek myth and in, in, in um, Conti, they, they both are quite withholding. So they, you know, they appear one way, but what they're actually thinking is another way. So I tried to kind of put that into um, her, her sections in, in the sense that she's, she's, always, she's always got something going on, but she's not really maybe as sensitive or as forthright as, say, the Sue character is. So she wouldn't really say outright, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. Last week, I spoke to Intan Paramadita, who's another featured author at Singapore Writers Festival. Oh, she's great. She's wonderful, right? And, And here's the thing. I mean, all of her stories are rooted in horror and feminism. And, and I found parallels between what you were writing with Ponty and what she was kind of doing as well with her style of storytelling. And, and we were having this chat about how in, in Malay folklore, there are a lot of monsters and demons who are women, and it stems from male fear. Exactly. Yeah. It, it stems from, from a fear of how women should and shouldn't behave in society. And I feel like with the, with the Pontianak and the, the Puntilanak and the, you know, the, the, the long fear, these, these kinds of variations of basically the, the kind of, the kind of um, image, of the manifestation of the ghost, these, these three are fairly similar, right? Right. But I think another thing that they have in common, uh, one is like, you know, the ghost of a woman who died in childbirth. Another one is the woman who, uh, ghost of a woman who died while carrying a child. Exactly. So one is the ghost of, of the child, right, itself, right, that, that died in, 
you know, while, while getting born. I mean, there's um, and, also and the hantu tete, right? Which is just fear of breasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely this anxiety around women's bodies and the, the reproductive sort of obligations of women. You know, it, it also, I think, would tie to, I, I can imagine people, you know, parents pressuring their daughters, like, you know, 50 years ago being like, oh, you know, if you're not careful, you don't get married and, you know, do what you need to do, right, before your, your child going golden years are up and you know you're gonna, you might get turned into this monster you, you know what I mean you can see how it, it might get marshaled to basically carry out particular social ideologies you know in the past and how that's kind of carried through in the present into more of a purely horror movie aesthetic but you know still still we, we are we are continually fascinated by by these myths and I, I think another thing that's really really valuable is the fact that, you know, not many people know know them outside of South Asia. And like, why not? Because I think these, like the Singaporean myths, the Malay, the Malay myths, the Indonesian myths that we grew up with are, you know, like really, really fascinating. And, you know, I think they, they deserve to be more widely known. It, they make for great stories and they make for great cinema as well. Exactly. Yeah. So Charlene, tell me this. I mean, these are threads that run throughout your novel as well, because um, at the core of it, it is, the story of female friendship, but there are feminist themes that run throughout. And I'm curious about where the idea of tying it into a B-movie horror came about. Mm. I mean, where were your inspirations? I mean, I'm assuming you grew up watching all of these same Korean and Japanese yeah. movies that I did because they were all yeah. the rage, I think, when we were growing up. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I remember thinking when I was, when I was growing up that, you know, say if you watch like The Ring, or, or there's, you know, the tale of two, a tale of two sisters, the yeah. Korean film, one of the scariest things I've ever seen. I've only watched it once, and I, I don't <laughs> think I can, I can, I have it in myself to watch it again. But I remember watching these things, and you contrast it with, say, The Exorcist or The Shining, the classics. And I always used to think, oh my gosh, like these Asian ghosts are scarier because they're in the same region as me. So it's one fine here, right? Representation. American ghosts, American ghosts are so far away. Who cares about them? You know what I mean, right? Like they're too busy like doing whatever they need to do. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of priests they got to scare basically in, in you know the middle of America. Exactly. Whereas, you know, someone like Sadako, I, I don't know, like you know, she, she's operating regionally. So oh, some some midwestern scary. blonde girl has nothing on the ring. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what fight them. Um, so yeah, I grew up watching a lot of these horror movies, but I'm, I'm a bit of a chicken, so I'm, I'm always very scared. But I've, I've always been really, you know, really, really interested in in the the kind of psychology behind fear, because I, I think that fear, fear, titillation, pleasure, and you know, engagement—they're all on the same continuum. You know, when you're scared of something, right, you can't take your eyes off it. Right. So, so you know, it's this way of really arresting someone's attention. And it also taps into a kind of primal, like, fight or flight <laughs> mentality, which I think is, like, the opposite of, like, boring. And, and if you apply it to fiction, it's the opposite of boring fiction. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out trying to write kind of more, like, kind of strictly horror stuff in the future. But for now, I think I've, I've kind of put it aside. <laughs> but, yeah, so I wanted to tie that with, yeah, a story about how women are with other women, mothers are with daughters, friends are with each other, particularly at such a formative time. And it just it just made sense to me, this idea of filmmaking and performance and how we, we adopt different roles all the time. 
You know what I mean? Like, you know, we speak differently to everyone, you, in different registers to different people. You speak differently at work, you speak differently to your friends, to your parents, that kind of thing. I guess it's a, it's a form of code switching, like you want to be understood. I think, I think as <laughs> Malaysians and Singaporeans, we do that really, really well. I think we have a very versatile accent, which always gets read as American. Still. Correct. But it's not like when, I, when I'm in the UK, I try and sound like, I don't know, like, like super, like, I don't know, like... Like honest. the Queen, I, but I, no. I couldn't, I couldn't put on a strong <laughs> English accent if I tried. <laughs> I don't really know, but I, I think definitely, yeah, we do modulate or moderate our, our language to, to match, you know, whoever we're having a conversation with. So I think if you spoke to someone that said, like, like, like a lot, after a while, you would take it up. You know, you were talking about, I guess, the relation, our relationship with fear, but also the one thing you capture really well is the relationship that women have with other women at a certain age, especially with regards to the whole idea of a frenemy, for example. And <laughs> I think that translates really, really well because I got that feeling as I was reading about uh, Sue and Cersei. Like the idea of a frenemy is is one that is really, I think, is really complex and and um. Also really damaging because, you know, when you waste a lot of time basically suspended in this sort of tension, like, do I mm. love this person? Do I hate this person? Do I love this person or not? Um, it, you know, that, that pivot basically takes up a lot of energy. <laughs> I really wanted to explore that in a way that wasn't kind of clouded over with sexual rivalry. So, like, I know that Stuart does have a bit of a crush on, on Cersei's brother, but it's not really quite the same as if they're fighting over the same person. You know what I mean? It's not a triangle, yeah. You've spoken about trying to write the epic Pontianat novel, and you've spoken about how you <laughs> yeah. abandoned your original novel because you wrote it from the POV of the Pontianat. Tell me what that's like, because I really want to read that book. <laughs> uh, well, it's a bit of a disaster. Um, it was in first person, and it was basically like, because you have, if you have a character that's so powerful, it's, it's very, very hard to kind of set the the limits in the story of, of the, the limits of that power. Right. You know what I mean? Particularly because, I mean, I personally haven't met any Pontiana, because all I can ask anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what was the experience? You know what I mean? There's no, like, Pontiana interview transcript archives. So I couldn't really ask anyone what the experience was. And also, I think I was a little bit mindful because it, it, it originates, you know, it's, it's a Malay myth, right? I was a bit mindful about who, who really should do the telling of that. And I felt, you know, a little bit uncomfortable assuming that, that role, you know, first person. Whereas I think when it's transcribed to a fictional film where it's someone else, like, you know, someone's creative interpretation of it with, like, you know, a whole cast from, from you know, all different places and stuff like that, then, then it's a lot more, there's a lot more kind of creative freedom in a sense, if you know what I mean, rather than basically taking on a myth. It wasn't my story to tell, so, like, but it was a worthwhile trying. <laughs> and how was it? Yeah, nobody's going to read it. <laughs> how hard was it? I'm, I'm not going to ask you for that draft. Don't worry. And how hard was it taking on a myth, especially one as deeply established as the Pontianat one and kind of using it to drive a story about these three women? How hard was that for you? Well, I think I, I really, really love working with mythology. I've always, well, I think when I started off writing poetry, I've always written, you know, poems or like short stories around or kind of exploring our, our relationship to these to these myths and or superstitions. I think that a myth is a is a very, very interesting framework for 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 a story and for kind of positioning your characters around because it's something that is particularly with oral tradition, it's something that's pretty well known. So you know you have you have that, that source of reference point 
so everybody has a has an instant association. You know, when they think of a myth, if they think of like you know, Pontiana, they think of one thing, right? If if they thought of say, you know, like the the legend of Bukit Mara, you know, hmm. people people have one idea, and a lot of it is born from childhood. So a lot of the ideas would be, you know, illustrations that you saw in you know a textbook or illustrations that you saw in you know a book of Singaporean ghost stories, that kind of thing. But but I think that that's that's wonderful because you know. 500 people have 500 different interpretations of, of the same story. Right. And also the story has variations because of how it's been disseminated. You know, most of the time it's like, oh, someone, someone's brother told someone at NS, and then like, you know, they, they'll tell you in school, and so on and so forth, right? And I really love the the kind of evolution of that, say, like, you know, like um, a story like that. Uh, the Pontiana one, which I think is so deeply, deeply Singaporean, and, and it's always really fascinated me because I, I've, I've always thought like, oh, this is, She's in a way a femme fatale, right? Like the woman in the bathtub in The Shining. Initially, you know, she looks beautiful and like you know, really, really alluring. Correct. But actually, she's she's you know, that's a lot more in terms of suspense. It's a lot more hideous than than a monster that's already horrifying. You know, just to have that kind of switch is, is terrifying. So that, that 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 always made me think about beauty and how beauty can be terrifying. Yeah, I mean, like the, 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 that's like almost a paraphrasing that beautiful uh, Eka Kurniawan uh, novel, Beauty is a Wound. I think that's like a wonderful title. <laughs> it's a different different context, but you know what I mean. Yeah, so um, I, I think I was always very fascinated by that. And then I love I love horror movies, uh, B horror movies, so bad they're good, that kind of thing. You know, Troll 2 even. <laughs> wow, um, Troll so 2 even? So good. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's so funny. I watched a film called Barbarian Sound Studio by a director called Peter Strickland. And um, it, it basically is about a sound engineer who uh, works on all the the, the horror effects, and um, that that really got me thinking about someone that was working behind the scenes on a, on a on a film, and not just any film, but a film you know filmed in Singapore about Pontiana, you know, post the fifties when people didn't care about those films anymore. So like by the time even that it, it started rolling, you know, nobody nobody cared. You know, it was like the the, the kind of Roger Sutton you know Pontiana movie that's quite cheesy and you know, it didn't have quite the same sort of reception as the, you know, the pioneering ones in the in the fifties, you know, the 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 BN Rao ones, um, you know, yeah. with Maria Minado, which are really iconic. So like the the idea of someone trying to make a trilogy of films to live up to that, but without necessarily the budget or the talent, I thought that's that's gold. <laughs> you know, that's that's already so much so much tension in there. Because that's a theme that runs throughout the book as well. I mean, this idea of a remake, of a reboot, of actually taking someone's work and then reimagining it, kind of forcing them into obsolescence as well because you're you're making yeah. it new and shiny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's something, you know, that everyone in this novel has to struggle with. And I thought that was a very, very fascinating look and take on the idea of a remake and a reboot, especially now when everything, everything we grew up watching <laughs> is being rebooted and remade. So annoying. Oh, some of them are okay, lah. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that She-Ra reboot. Really? I am. I was a I huge a fan. I heard there's a Labyrinth reboot, which really makes me sad. Wait, what? I completely missed that. Yeah. I know. I I, I can't. I have to verify this. I, I have to Google this. But I also with the fact that true. Bowie is dead, it doesn't sound good that you're making a Labyrinth remake now. I know. They're going to get someone terrible. Ugh. I know. They're going to get someone terrible. They're probably going to get like Harry Styles. I was just movie. about to say they're going to get Harry Styles. <laughs> You know it. 
No, but I mean, I, yeah, it'll just be awful. What's next, Charlene? I mean, what are you working on now? You said you're not going to do horror in the foreseeable future. What's next? <laughs> not, not right now. It's too, it's too close to thematically uh, to point Um, I'm I'm working my second novel. I can't really give too much of it away. <laughs> I, all I can say is um, it's it's really really different. It's incredibly different <laughs> to um to Ponty. I I can I can I can tell you the title if you like. Tell me the title. That'll that'll be enough of a okay. tease for our listeners. All right, it's called Escape from Sanity. Oh, I like it. <laughs> it's very evocative. That's good. I want to know more already. <laughs> Great. Charlene Ponty was a very fun read, and I, I I really enjoyed the differing viewpoints, and I think you did well to capture three distinct voices. Because I find that a lot of times when I'm reading books like this, especially if the author is not careful, everything can bleed into one. Right, yeah, of course, yeah, it's all sounds the same. <laughs> exactly, and I didn't get that with Ponty, which was very, very good. And then, of course, you know, you tapped into all of my pop culture movie references as well that I enjoy. So, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm an easy sucker for you, La, when it comes to this book. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me. I will catch you at... Singapore Writers' Fest. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to, to, to that, Uma. And thank you for yeah. being on the show. Thank you. I've been speaking today to Singaporean author Charlene Teo. She is one of the many, many authors featured at this year's edition of the Singapore Writers' Festival. The festival is happening between the 2nd and 11th of November. You can check out their extensive program at singaporewritersfestival.com. I'm going to be there. I go every year and I always have a great time. Also, don't forget to read Charlene debut novel. It's called Ponty and it's available at all good bookstores. You've been listening to Bookmark. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.